That's 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you as always a week, a week from Christmas. Getting into the holiday spirit as we are on this Masson All Access Podcast. Recently in our mentions though, Brendan, there were a lot of people that were not in the holiday spirit. It's been a tough week for the mentions of Masson Orioles. And honestly, I think it probably stems from your bad Photoshop. I think it's probably my fault. I think that's, I think I personally am the reason that everybody is mad. Can you set the stage for us? I'll set the stage. Sure. So, uh, you know me, one of the, one of the kids around the office, I am, uh, I am always thinking of the new trends and, and trying to find things that are funny. So naturally I hopped on a trend that was like three weeks ago. And I thought to myself, what is something funny that I could post uh, for the you've heard of Elf on a Shelf meme? Yeah. And my look, if I had photoshopped John Means on some baked beans, I, th- I think that would have been a little bit too easy. I think that would have been gifted well, to somebody, me right there. Somebody in our comments did suggest that. Right. Yeah. And it was a quality suggestion, but I, I don't go for the, for the joke that's right there. I, I strive to go further. So I went for Anthony Santander on a chocolate eclair. And I uh, spent about a minute and a half on a Photoshop, if that. Yep. It, honestly, though, it was pretty good considering the amount of time you put in. I, I put in about two minutes because I thought that a joke so poor, uh, like Anthony Santander on a chocolate eclair, only warranted about two minutes of Photoshop yeah. at, at the very least. So mm-hmm. I, I Photoshopped Santander onto a chocolate eclair, and then I put Utah Street in the background just for fun. It, because you asked me, hey, why is Utah Street in the background? And I said, well, why isn't it? Yeah, this is still up on at Mass and Orioles and our Facebook page, yeah. if, in case you want to go, go and see it. And he did not delete it. Uh, no, I didn't. Because personally, I think it was clever. I... Don't think the Photoshop was good because that was, it's well, it the was point. the point. Yeah. It was the point. If I had spent an hour and a half trying to Photoshop a realistic Anthony Santander onto a chocolate eclair, I think that would have said much more about me as a, as a human being. Well, I don't know how you would have done it realistically. I mean, if you made it, it life-size. It would have either been a giant chocolate eclair, it, which or is what it would have been, which was what it was. But that's not very realistic. Or if you wanted it to be that realistic, it would have just been like half the size of would his been, shoe. Yeah, he would have been have stepping seen it. on it. Yeah. So anyway, what was the reaction, Brendan? On Twitter, I think the reaction was fine. You know, the worst. It, it wasn't good, Paul. The worst you got was, oh, this is lame. Ha ha. You know, and oh, I'll I got lame. it. I was, I, I wasn't then, shooting for like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. I was shooting for like a, oh, this is like funny in a stupid way well then you got to facebook i okay first of all i didn't post it on facebook initially i put it on twitter i suggest and then yeah. uh my co-host paul mancano my saboteur if you will said <laughs> hey why don't you put this on facebook 
And I went, that sounds like a, an incredibly non-harmful idea. Here's how the people reacted. Not well. Greg says, bit of a stretch. Uh, what else we got? Jason says, stretch. Uh, one is actually good. Matthew says, Severino on Al Pacino. I, I do like that. Steve says, I like dad jokes, but even I think this is really bad. Ooh. Jeff says, weak, feeble. Sorry, Jeff. A uh, lot of gifts of Mike Scott shaking, Michael Scott shaking his head. Yeah. Um, Marcy says, I'm glad I'm the, not the only one who didn't get that. Dot, dot, dot. That's terrible. Sorry, Marcy. <laughs> Failed, says Jonathan. Sorry, Jonathan. Uh, and then my favorite. And honestly, the people's favorite. It was 42 the people's reactions. Favorite. Yeah. Jack saying, whoever came up with this should be fired. And Brendan, I hate to tell you, but I brought this up to Spiro, our boss, and I showed him that comment. And uh, your, your employment ends today. I'm sorry. It, it, this yeah. is a, it's been a good run for you. Look, I knew my downfall the was always spoken. going to be photoshopping Anthony Santander onto a chocolate eclair. It was going to be Santander on something. It was going it, it was you know. going to be a photoshop of Anthony Santander on something. I didn't know that it would be the chocolate eclair. I thought it was going to be do a, me in. a profiterol, but But yeah. see, the comment itself isn't what does it for me. It's the fact that it has 46 reactions no, no, what, of people saying, yeah, this is a fireable offense. What does it for me is that I clicked on just out of curiosity, clicked on this guy's profile and in his bio it says it's chaos out there. Be kind. <laughs> and be kind. boy, is he spreading that message by be with forty six other people that agree for that your head. This Photoshop is a reason that yeah. I should lose my livelihood. <laughs> and I, you know, honestly, Jack, I'm sorry, man. Like I, I am sorry that I have offended you yeah. so deeply with this Photoshop that I. I now need to Alex find says, a new job. I think we could do better. Robert says, wow, I'm sorry, that's Alex. terrible. Sorry, Robert. Um, the other thing is Brad says, I know how it's pronounced. Still not funny. Sorry, you Brad. You have to pronounce his name correctly. You do. In order for the joke to land. Right. Santander, chocolate eclair. Right. Yeah. Maybe that was part of the disconnect. Look, Oriole Nation, I I'm Please sorry, apparently. Him. Yeah. Um, give him another chance. If you would like to send me more hate mail, uh, give me a follow on Twitter, at Brendan Morty. Um, so you're using this to plug your own Twitter? I am using it to plug my own Twitter. Because Just to get hate mail. If I need to be the Orioles personality that is hated, I, I guess I will take on the villain role. Yeah. I guess I will. I guess I'll be Batman at the end of Dark Knight and just run off into the darkness. I guess that's me now. Well... Uh, let's hope there are more of those to come because uh, Brendan. Well, now I I'm thought just afraid. I think it shows the, the dichotomy between the social media groups, but we're not going to get into that too much right now. Uh, we're going to talk about the Orioles bullpen. Yeah, let's do that. Let's please. do that. Let's switch topics because there was some Orioles news yesterday. Uh, by the way, Hannah, in our comments, we are live on Facebook and Twitter, and YouTube says it's a good meme. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Hannah. Hannah supports me, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about the signing, the minor league signing uh, that happened yesterday by the Baltimore Orioles. And keep in mind, it is a minor league signing. So odds are not great that Fernando Abad is going to be on this team come the 2021 regular season, but they signed him to a minor league deal. Brendan, what would Fernando Abad bring to the Orioles, a guy that they had been connected to in the past um, and a guy that has a whole lot of experience? Well, first of all, with the minor league deal thing, we said that 
Tommy Malone not, might not make the roster, and then he was your opening day starter. Yeah, he was not signed until February right. 14th, I believe. So, Fernando Abad, I, I don't know if he brings you anything flashy to the bullpen, but I think he gives you a consistent arm, and the Orioles got a lot better in 2020 in the bullpen, which we'll talk about, but I, I don't know if he's going to make the roster. He's only pitched one out of the last three years, didn't pitch in 2018, and didn't pitch in 2020. Had a 4.15 ERA in 2019, over 13, 13 innings. So I don't know if he's really going to make a big impact, but I think just the more guys you throw into that mix, the more likely you, likely you are to get some solid arms in the bullpen. Yeah, and he is 35 years old. Today is his birthday, by the way. Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Uh but honestly, you look at his career numbers, and they're pretty solid. And even that 415 ERA in 2019 with the San Francisco Giants is not terrible. No. You know, that that is not something that should be career-ending. His career ERA is 367, which for a reliever, is for a starter, that would be very good. For a reliever, that's still pretty good. Um, and has pretty much exclusively come out of the bullpen uh, his entire career. Uh, he's been with, what, in with nine years, he's been with six different teams, so he has bounced around a lot as a typical reliever. I think what the reason that he has not found, uh, did not find a job, a permanent job at the big league level in 2020, was because he's not a statistical darling, analytical darling. Uh, got a pretty high whip and low strikeout numbers, which for uh, a modern-day reliever is not typically attractive to teams. Just 7.6 Ks per nine over his career, um, and the whip is 1.285. For a reliever, typically you're looking for whip closer to one, strikeouts maybe a little bit closer to 10. But still, the ERA speaks for itself, and that that's pretty solid And uh, for a long time. I mean, he's never had an ERA. The last time he had an ERA over 415 was back in 2012. Every other year it has been... In the threes, he had one year with Oakland, 2014, where it was one five seven. Um, in 2017, it was three three zero with Boston. So really, not a bad track record. And this is over the course of 384 games, so a long career at this point. So if he gives you anything close to that, if his ERA is in the three threes or three fives, it's a pretty solid job. Uh, getting him on a minor league deal. Yeah, and that whip was actually better in 2019. It was the second best of his career, a .923. So his 2019 season was still solid, and I think he does have the chance to make the Orioles roster for 2021. Uh, by the way, Ricky, Rick, sorry, on our Facebook chat says, uh, let Brent, Brendan, sorry, uh, keep his job. Just make him eat a dozen eclairs in one sitting. There you go. That's a, make him I eat I feel like words. that's fair. That's a fair trade-off. Yeah. Absolutely. I can do that. All right. Well, this is a perfect transition to talk about the bullpen in general. Because, honestly, I was a little surprised that the Orioles signed anybody for their bullpen. And I know it's a minor league deal, so no guarantees there. But Mike Elias had said at the beginning of the offseason, he felt pretty good about the bullpen. And for good reason. The bullpen took massive strides in 2020 compared to 2019. The sample size is concerning, and that does give, you, uh, give it a caveat. And you do have concerns about the fact that you lost some guys during the course of that season um, that were pretty good and produced for you and Michael Gibbons um, and Miguel Castro. So it was probably not going to be as good in 2021 as it was going to be in 2020. But I thought with the guys that they already had in place in that bullpen and with the young guys coming up through the system, a lot of whom we said on our last podcast are going to make their debuts in 2021. I thought they were pretty set in the bullpen I was a little bit surprised that they felt the need to get anybody 
Well, I think they are pretty set in the bullpen, but a lot of the guys who were fantastic for the O's last year had by far the best years of their career. So I don't think you can bank on all of those guys being as good as they were in 2020. I don't think you should assume that they are going to be as bad as they were in 2019. So I think they're somewhere in the middle. The Orioles aren't going out and signing the top relievers in free agency in Major League Baseball. This is a pretty low-risk signing with a bod, and maybe he makes the roster, maybe he doesn't, because you don't necessarily need a big shakeup in the bullpen after they were so good in 2020. But if you think that a bod can help the bullpen in any way, there's really no harm in bringing a guy in on a minor league deal. You're just not giving somebody you know $10 million to come in and be a bullpen arm. Right, absolutely. Well, let's talk about how the Orioles' bullpen improved so much. And let's start by talking about how bad the Orioles' bullpen was in 2019. It was the worst bullpen in baseball, and that was weirdly only second to the world champion Washington Nationals, who also had a terrible bullpen that year. But the Orioles' bullpen was pretty much a disaster that season. And it was for a lot of reasons. They just did not have the talent. They did not have too many young guys on that team. And Brandon Hyde really was stretched thin in terms of the guys available each and every night to throw out of that bullpen. Some stats from that disastrous bullpen year. Um, They were last in baseball in ERA, 5.79. They were giving up 1.7 home runs per nine, which was also last in baseball. Um, They were striking out just 8.6 guys per nine, which was 28th, so third to last in baseball. And they were walking over four batters a game. Uh, four batters per nine, which was 23rd in baseball. Those are all bad numbers. Then you not fl- good. Not good. Then you flip the script to 2020, and it is radically different. 3.90 ERA. That was ninth best in baseball. The last time they had a top 10 ERA bullpen was 2016 when they were third, back when they had the Darren O'Day and Brad Brock and uh, Zach Britton, one, two, three punch in the back of that bullpen. You had... They were giving up fewer than one home run per nine innings, which is a huge difference to go from 1.7 to less than a home run per nine, especially considering 30 of the 60 games are being played at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, um, which is obviously, and Yankee Stadium. They played a lot of games at Yankee Stadium, which is also a hitter-friendly park. So they were keeping the ball in the ballpark. That was the fourth best rate in baseball. Uh, The K percentage did not get that much higher. In fact, uh, they were striking out 8.8 per nine, which is 24th best in baseball, but they were walking a lot fewer guys. They were walking 3.9 per nine innings, and that is 12th best in baseball. So across the board, they significantly improved the bullpen. Well, it couldn't have gotten worse, really. (laughs) I want to just hammer home. It can always get worse. I want to hammer home how bad the Orioles' bullpen was in 2019. Of relievers who appeared in at least 25 games, there were 10 of them, seven had an ERA over five. Seven of them. Of Orioles relievers that pitched at least 10 games, the lowest ERA was a 4.57 from Michael Givens. The, The only reliever that had a good ERA was Hunter Harvey, who appeared in seven games through six innings and had a 1-4-2 ERA. There were five pitchers that pitched in at least 50 games. Three of those had an ERA over five, being Paul Fry, Richard Blyer, and Sean Armstrong. 
Michael Givens led the team with 11 saves. I think he blew more saves than he recorded that year. Yeah. I think. I'm not sure on that. Yeah. He and blew it, a lot of saves that season. Excluding Michael Givens and Hunter Harvey, no reliever had a whip lower than 1.286, which was held by Dylan Tate. That's bad. It's really bad. It was bad. And honestly, for them to make that kind of jump, it took a lot of factors. A lot of factors. Um, what would be your number one factor that helped them flip the script, Brendan, 2020? Well, without getting into too many specifics, pretty much everybody in the bullpen improved. Yeah, They didn't have that many new guys in the bullpen from 2019 to 2020, but all of the bullpen arms seemingly got a lot better. Tanner Scott's ERA improved from 4.78 to 1.31. Sean Armstrong's ERA improved from 5.13 to 1.80. Yeah, he had a career year. Paul Fry's ERA improved from 5.34 to 2.45. Dylan Tate's ERA improved from 6.43 to 3.24. Everybody who was bad in 2019 (laughs) somehow got much better in 2020. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of numbers there, but essentially you had at least five pitchers that had the best years of their careers by far. Yes. Um, And you had the additions to the bullpen be really good. I mean, Travis Lakins was, I think you could say, one of the three best arms out of that bullpen. Oh, absolutely. And he was not utterly phenomenal, but he pitched the most innings of anybody in that bullpen, strictly coming out of the bullpen. He had a 2-8-1 ERA in 25 and two-thirds innings. This guy that they picked up, I I believe they picked him up off waivers from Boston. Uh, who had just a few games under his belt in 2019, ended up being crucial for them in 2020. Tanner Scott, you mentioned. Only 30% of his balls, the balls that were hit in play off him, uh, were hard hit, which was the lowest percentage in the bullpen. Uh, For a guy who throws very hard, Tanner Scott is exactly, was exactly what this Orioles team had hoped he was going to be for a long time. He went from not having a ERA that it was even serviceable in a bullpen yeah. to people saying that he could have some of the best left-handed stuff in the American League. Well, and we had heard about, we had seen him in a lot of games. We had heard about how good he had the potential to be. And to see him be able to flip that script in 2020 was phenomenal. And it's a, it's a credit to the coaching staff. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, I don't think he's going to be a 1.5 ERA guy for the rest of his career. But you got a career year out of him that shows that he can pitch at a pretty high level out of that bullpen. He doesn't need to have a 1.31 ERA every single season. If if Tanner Scott is hanging around even a three ERA, that's yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> like that's that's solid, and you will take that in the Orioles bullpen. Yeah, and then you had Paul Fry, I think, who also had a career year. You mentioned in 2019 his ERA was up over five. ERA was down by three. Uh, in this year, 2.45 uh, in 22 innings pitched. Paul Fry, as a lefty, 28 years old. I mean, I think that he probably is less likely to be a long-term fixture in this bullpen. I think that the guys we just mentioned, Travis Lakins and definitely Tanner Scott, have a higher chance because they're two years younger than Paul Fry to stick around. So I think there's probably a higher chance that he is going to be trade bait. But what a career year Paul Fry had. And just pretty much came out of nowhere 
from Paul Fry. Yeah, this wasn't a fantastic Orioles team in 2020, but if all of these guys don't have the career years like they have, this is a much worse team. Because the starting rotation for the O's was not fantastic in 2020. The bullpen really picked them up and kept them close in a lot of these games. Yeah, uh, they had the best seventh inning ERA in baseball which was 1.61. These stats coming from the Orioles, by the way. Very nice of them to send these. 20, they, this team was 20-1. and one. They had a 20-1 and one record when leading after six innings. Yeah, that's amazing. And a 21-1 and one record when leading after seven innings. That's amazing. That is crazy, especially considering Cole Sulcer finished a lot of those games. Right, and especially considering that in 2019, the exact opposite was happening a lot of times. You, t- you talked yeah. about... A lot of the blown saves a lot of from winnable Michael games. Givens. Yeah. A lot of winnable games in 2019 that the bullpen really just kind of crumbled yeah. down the stretch. And in 2020, the exact opposite was happening. And I think a lot of these guys not only turned themselves into solid bullpen arms for the O's that are going to be in the bullpen for 2021, but also gives Mike Elias a little bit more ammo if he wants to move some of these guys to the deadline, pick up more prospects too. Yeah. Who is your most? Who are you most encouraged by out of the bullpen 2020, Brendan? There were a few guys. I think the top two for me were one, Tanner Scott, and two, Dylan Tate, Yeah, who are two of the younger guys in the bullpen who we heard a lot about their potential, but we really hadn't seen it too awful much on the field. Paul Fry is, what, 29 now? Paul Fry had been 28. He was pretty consistent. He was, it wasn't great leading up to this season, but we saw flashes of Paul Fry, and he wasn't, lights out last year but he was very good with Dylan Tate and Tanner Scott I still think they have room to grow moving past 2021 and when you're looking at the timeline of this rebuild a little bit I think Paul Fry could be more of a trade guy and I think somebody like Tanner Scott or Dylan Tate because they're younger and line up a little bit more with the rebuild I think those two could be pieces that are in the Orioles bullpen for a while moving forward. Yeah, I think Tate was the most encouraging to me. Even though his numbers were not as good as some of the other guys, he's 26. He was the major piece in the Zach Britton deal with the Yankees. So that makes that deal look better in retrospect. And he was talked about as a starter for a long time, and he just did not have success, especially since he came to the Orioles organization, really struggled uh, as a starter at the lower levels. Comes up to the major leagues as a, as a reliever, 3.24 ERA in 12 games. This may be the spot for him. And to find a, a home for him, and we'll see if he, it, it translates, if he's able to repeat that success in 2021. But they may have found a spot for him, and to me that is incredibly encouraging. I mean, he is a confident guy, obviously has excellent stuff, um, was a top, was a first-round pick, I believe a top-five pick at one point in the draft. So he's got a, a still a very high ceiling, and if the bullpen is the spot for him, he might find a lot of success there. And we're not mentioning, like, Cesar Valdez. Yeah, we haven't even talked about Cesar Valdez. Who was awesome. 36 years old. Yeah. I, I don't know if Cesar Valdez is going to find that same success in 2021. I think teams might start to figure out his change-up a little bit. But Cesar Valdez was still awesome. I mean, this is a guy who you got for pretty much nothing and came to the Orioles and had a ton of success out of the bullpen. 1.26 ERA in 14 innings pitched. Uh, 
the one guy that we should talk about because there are different ways to read the season for him, Hunter Harvey. Yes. Were you more disappointed or encouraged by Hunter Harvey's 2020 season? I don't I, I don't think I was encouraged. I yep. mean, he looked like he regressed a little bit from 2019, but I'm also not going to put a ton of stake into Hunter Harvey's 2020. I think this is still the closer of the future for the Orioles, and I'm not going to freak out about 10 games in a pandemic season when he was still dealing with injuries. Yeah, His stuff didn't look amazing. I think he was probably the first one to tell you that, but I am, I'm not hitting the panic button on Hunter Harvey by any stretch of the imagination. I still think he has some of the best stuff in the bullpen, and I think he will probably be in line to at least have a chance to be the Orioles' closer for 2021. Yeah, I think when you looked at his 2019 season, he was excellent, but you mentioned only seven games. I mean, I think he had fewer than seven innings pitched. I think he had like six and two-thirds innings pitched in that 2019 season. There was just not a whole lot of sample size. And if you had given him three or four more games in that 2019 season, probably would have had a higher ERA. But because he was just coming into the major leagues, they didn't have a whole lot of film on him. He was able to surprise a lot of guys and get by with his blistering fastball. Um, And he was great in 2019. 2020, just they figured him out a little bit more. And again, small sample size. He only allowed four earned runs all year, and three of those came via home run. So he got hit by the home run, which is going to happen when you throw that hard. He throws 98, 99, sometimes 100 miles an hour with his fastball, and he's pitching at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, which is a hitter's ballpark. You're going to get hit around by the long ball, and especially for a reliever, you have one or two bad outings, screws up your whole season. It can happen with a starter, too. We saw it with Dean Kramer. Had one bad outing near the end of the year. His ERA goes from like one and a half to like four and a half. So in 2020, you have one bad outing, and it can totally screw up your year. I don't think, that being said, I I think the concerns about Hunter Harvey were founded just because you said his stuff didn't look as good. He didn't pass the eye test. Didn't seem like he was blowing hitters away as much as he was in 2019. But I'm not going to overreact to the down statistics that he had in 2020. I think the true Hunter Harvey probably lies somewhere in between yeah. his 2019 numbers and his 2020 numbers. And not just his numbers. I think it probably lies somewhere in between how he looked in 2019 versus how he looked in 2020. Because like you said, he really didn't pass the eye test yeah. in 2020. His stuff just really didn't look the same. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed once again. We were crossing our fingers before 2020 that we would get a full season of a healthy Hunter Harvey that didn't happen hopefully we will get it in 2021 and we will have a better idea of what a healthy Hunter Harvey looks like yeah I think it probably looks like the Orioles closer because I don't see somebody else in the bullpen right now that would be a better option at closer than Hunter Harvey unless you want to try Tanner Scott there but Tanner Scott seems pretty cemented Somewhere around that six, yeah. seven, eight innings. I think that ship has sailed on Tanner Scott. I, I think he's Tanner been tried Scott at that role in the past. And he has good stuff. He has great stuff. He was probably the best reliever in the Orioles bullpen last season. He just has. But, yeah, he's been used in that closer spot in the past, and it hasn't worked. Yeah, it they, just takes a different kind of person. Just because he has the stuff to pitch really well in the seventh and eighth innings doesn't yeah. mean he should be your closer in the ninth. Well, and the the whole role of closer in today's game is probably a little bit overblown because it's all about high leverage innings now. Um, 
we saw we saw Cole Sulcer being used in the closer role in 2020, and you could not have miscast anybody more. I he think. is. I'm gonna throw a hot take out there that I don't think Cole Sulcer is going to be closing games for the O's in 2020. Don't think it's gonna happen. He pretty much was taken out of that closer role a couple weeks into the season. I mean, the funny thing is, you talked about how maybe the Orioles benefited from a small sample size in this 2020 season uh, in a lot of ways because, you know, a, a couple, if this had been a longer season, those numbers probably, the ERA probably would have been inflated across the bullpen. But also, if you take Cole Sulcer out of that bullpen, that ERA might be fifth best in baseball. Yeah. The small sample size did not help Cole Sulcer no. in any way. No. I think probably he would have improved, hopefully, if he had been given more opportunities, but you can't continue to give him opportunities in no. that role if he's just not delivering there. I think for 2021, I wouldn't be surprised if Cesar Valdez starts in the closer role for the Orioles and has a little bit of a rotation thing with Hunter Harvey there. I think you probably try both of them there. And if Hunter Harvey doesn't either stay healthy or look as good or close to as good as he did in 2019, why not just keep Cesar Valdez there? Yeah, and for Fernando Abad, he has never been pretty much exclusively a closer. He's has closed games at times. Uh, 2017 with uh, the Red Sox pitched in 48 games and, and basically closed 15 of those. Um, the most, but only really had one save in that game, in that season. So he is not a, a typical closer type pitcher. Right. Um, so he has some games finished, yeah. but that's usually when his team is just losing and they throw him in. They exactly. Eight. So you're going to have to look at the guys you already had in place pretty much, unless they sign somebody else, which I don't think is likely to be your closer for 2021. I think it's very unlikely that they sign a bullpen arm that is going to be a bona fide closer. Yeah. Because that is usually going to command a yeah, lot it, higher it, market value. It, you just don't need that for this right. game. Um, you need that for a competing team, a team that's going to be in the playoffs. They look at, at, they value that much more than a team like the Orioles. So one of these guys is probably going to be, if it's Tanner Scott, if it's, uh, you know, Cesar Valdez, that's that's probably going to be a miscast. If you had to guess right now who would lead the Orioles in, in saves, saves or games finished in 2021. That's tough. Um, I might go Tanner Scott just because I can't look at this bullpen and see anybody else who fits that. Cl- maybe Maybe Hunter Harvey. I, but, I think a healthy Hunter Harvey does. Uh, yeah, but the problem is, is he going to be healthy? Right. Yeah. If Hunter Harvey isn't healthy, that question yeah. gets opened up a lot more because I think that could be, like you said, a two-man race between Cesar Valdez and Tanner Scott. Yeah. I don't think they want to use Tanner Scott in that role. No, I don't think they but do But maybe you have to if there's not a healthy Hunter Harvey. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think, obviously, Dylan Tate is not a closer. Uh, Travis Likens doesn't have the stuff to be a closer. Um, I don't think Sean Armstrong is. No, no, I don't think he's a closer. And I don't know if Sean Armstrong, who's 30, Paul Fry, who's 28, I don't know how long they'll be on this team. They may not even make it to spring training because they may be dangled as trade pieces before then. Well, here's a follow-up for you then. Okay. Are there any quote-unquote new additions that are already on the Orioles roster but just haven't been called up yet, we haven't seen yet, that could fill an important role in the Orioles' bullpen, whether yeah. it's one of their Rule 5 draft selections, whether it's Isaac Matson, who was just added to the 40-man roster. Yeah. Do you see any of them playing a crucial role in the bullpen for 2021? I think there are a number of prospects at this point 
that we could see in 2021. And I think that there's a chance that this Orioles bullpen improves somewhat, which it would be kind of crazy for them to go from a, t- a number nine in ERA in bullpen in the bullpen to higher than that. But I think that there's a chance. It's a small chance, but I think that the only way they hit on that chance is if we see some of these prospects come up and have immediate success. I think of Isaac Matson is probably the top guy to come in and do that. Um, he has been a reliever throughout his career, has had incredible numbers at the lower levels, um, has had AAA experience, was added to the 40-man roster last year. Um, so he is ready to make his Major League debut. Kind of surprised he didn't make his Major League debut in 2020. But I think there's a chance he comes up and hits the ground running. I'm not going to put that pressure on him, but I think that he could be a long-term fixture in this bullpen. And if he has a sub-4 ERA, he could pitch a lot of innings out of that bullpen and give you a whole lot. Well, quite honestly, I would be surprised if the ERA improves from 2020 to 2021. But I think I can say with at least some certainty that the talent level in the bullpen will improve. I don't know if the ERA will improve because, like we have said, a lot of those guys had career years in 2020. I don't know if we're going to see another 1-3-1 ERA from Tanner Scott. I don't know if we're going to see another 1-8-0 ERA from Sean Armstrong. But I do think a lot of the additions to the Orioles' bullpen will be more talented than the guys that were filling in last year. I look at a long reliever role, like somebody that like Thomas Eshelman, yeah. was a long reliever for the O's at a lot of points last year with a 3.89 ERA. I think there's a pretty good chance that with some of the starters getting called up, like a Zach Lowther, like a Michael Bauman, that we see Keegan Aiken possibly bump into the bullpen for the O's next year. And I think he's probably an upgrade over Thomas Eshelman. I think somebody like Isaac Matson is certainly an upgrade over like a Cole Solcer. So I think the talent will get better in 2021. I don't necessarily know if the ERA will. Right. Yeah, I, I think that that is the benefit of having these guys come up through the system this year is we're going to see so many guys pushed out of the bullpen or pushed out of the rotation, rather, into the bullpen because there's just not going to be room for them. I could see if they do hold on to Jorge Lopez, I think Jorge Lopez probably gets pushed out of a spot in the rotation into the bullpen. Um, Keegan Aiken, I agree. I think that he probably, and this is, you know, he was very good in 2020 making his debut. Uh, if he can repeat that success, that'd be great. And you definitely keep him in the, in the starting rotation at this point. But I think odds are long-term, he's probably better out of the bullpen. In which case, that spot is probably going to be taken by Zach Lowther, by Michael Bauman, maybe by Alexander Wells. And it's nothing against Keegan Aiken. No. He just doesn't have the ceiling in the starting rotation that right. some of these other guys have. Yeah, I mean, Keegan Aiken is, a, is you know, a 15th best prospect in the system. Michael Bauman is the 10th best prospect. You know? Right. And, and realistically, especially two years down the line, two or three, I don't see how he keeps a rotation spot when you've got Grayson Rodriguez, yeah. D.L. Hall in the mix. Exactly. Those, and that's really when the roster crunch will happen. Right. But in the meantime, you know, in 2021, I expect him to start in the starting rotation. Yes. But if somebody below him makes it, you know, is is making a strong impression at whatever the minor leagues looks like, Norfolk, let's say that they are playing games in Norfolk next year, Michael Bauman or Zach Lowther is crushing it at Norfolk and they need to bring him up and they're looking at the rotation. They already have Means and Cobb cemented there. Maybe they want to keep, 
you know, Dean Kramer is in that starting rotation and they just don't have a role uh, for Keegan Aiken at that point, they might move him to the bullpen. Well, he's also not first on the list to get bumped from the starting rotation. True, true. You certainly bounce a Jorge Lopez out of the rotation before you bounce a Keegan Aiken. And I think, honestly, this front office would rather trade Alex Cobb to open up a spot yes, in the rotation. I agree. Then bump a prospect out of the rotation who's performing at a high level into the bullpen. Not to say that Keegan Aiken is definitely going to be in the bullpen in 2021, but no. I think he, if he is going there, yeah. I think he'll be a solid long reliever because yeah. he has good stuff. He has the stuff to be a fixture in the bullpen if that is where he ends up solely because there are just so many starting pitching prospects that have a little bit of a higher ceiling in the starting rotation. Yeah, and I think Bruce Zimmerman is in that category too. Not a top 30 prospect. Came up, had middling success in 2020. Uh, kind of had to make his debut in a pinch, uh, I think against the Yankees, I believe. Um, had a, you know, showed some flashes, but I don't think he has the stuff to be a long-term starter. So is he a guy that you move to the bullpen? And I think the Orioles would sooner move Bruce Zimmerman to the bullpen than they would... Keegan Aiken, who's Absolutely. their 15th best prospect. Yes. Bruce Zimmerman is not as highly regarded. They might move him to the bullpen, see what they got there. Um, so there are going to be some guys that get squeezed out of the rotation and go over to the bullpen. But like you said, Brent, I think the talent improves in that bullpen. May not translate in 2021 to numbers, but the talent level should improve. You should get a younger bullpen by season's end, and you should get a more talented bullpen by the end of the 2021 season. And I think especially if we're talking end of the season, yeah. I think a lot of the veterans have a chance to get traded. Yeah, absolutely. Solely because it's the same thing with Michael Givens. Very good reliever, yes. Does he line up with the timetable for the rebuild? No. Yeah. And if you're going to get value for him, then you might as well trade him for prospects. So I think there's a few guys that could get traded out of the Orioles' bullpen Sean yeah. Armstrong, Paul Fry, maybe even Tanner Scott. I'm hoping not Tanner Scott. Well, they, the thing to me is they, they traded Miguel Castro in his age 25 season. Miguel Castro, and who know, was having a worse season than Tanner Scott. True, true. But they're looking long-term. And right. Tanner Scott is a little bit closer. I think maybe next year is his first year in arbitration. I'm not sure. I have to double-check that. But he is closer to arbitration eligibility than some of the other guys who are 26, who have not yet made their debut or have only a season under their belt. Well, I would imagine... He's a little bit more expendable. I would imagine Tanner Scott is in a similar situation to Miguel Castro, where if you're Mike Elias, you're probably not chomping at the bit to move a 26-year-old solid reliever. Yeah. But with Miguel Castro, if the Mets offer you a top, what, 12, 13 pitching prospect, yeah. like the Orioles got in Kevin Smith... You can't turn that down, e even for Miguel Castro, who has shown a lot of flashes with his stuff as a 26-year-old reliever. So while Tanner Scott might not be the face of the trade block when you're looking at Orioles relievers, I think Sean Armstrong and Paul Fry are probably much more likely to get traded and much more willing to get dealt. If somebody offers you a top 15 prospect for Tanner Scott, like they did for Miguel Castro... I don't see how you turn that down. No, and especially when you mention, you know, Tanner Scott, or when you talk about Paul Fry and Sean Armstrong, um, and even Tanner Scott, these are guys that Sean Armstrong in arbitration just got under a million dollars. Paul Fry is pre-arbitration eligible. Tanner Scott is pre-arbitration eligible. And while that makes them very 
cheap and easy to hold on to for the Orioles. Also makes them very attractive to other teams. Easy to move. Yeah. Very easy to move. Michael Givens went for a lot at the deadline because he was in the midst of a good season. He had a great track record, but you would much rather have somebody who's pre-arbitration eligible who shows some signs. You can deal to a team, and they, they have very little monetary commitment to him. Very little. If they get Sean Armstrong and they had only have to pay him you know, $850,000 for this year, and then they can do whatever they want with him after that, put him on waivers and not have to worry about him, if he has a bad 2021 season, that is very attractive to a team. So I think Paul Fry and Sean Armstrong, I think there's a very, not very good chance, I think there is a good chance that they're traded before we even get to spring training. Yeah, no, I would agree, because you pretty much have to capitalize on this yeah. 2020 season. Yes, whether exactly. It's, whether it's in this offseason or next season. I mean, we were talking about what we thought the ERA for next year would look like. I said I would be surprised if these guys continue to have the ERA that they had in their career years last year. Now, if you're looking at, at that from a trade perspective, you capitalize on career years. Look yeah. what Michael Elias just did with Jose Iglesias. Jose Iglesias isn't going to hit close to that average. He's not going to have close to that slugging percentage. So you take advantage of his trade value when he's coming off his best season. And if you have these older relievers that are coming off their best seasons, move them. And and it will make your bullpen worse in 2021. It will. We saw what it hap- what happened with when you took Michael Givens out of that bullpen and even Miguel Castro out of that bullpen. Castro wasn't having a great year, but the bullpen was undoubtedly worse. And even Richard Blyer. The bullpen was worse without those three guys. But the thing is, they a good bullpen and a bad bullpen wasn't the difference of them making the playoffs and not. A good bullpen and a bad bullpen is not going to be the difference in the 2021 Orioles making the playoffs and not. They have to look towards the future. And in a year's time, Sean Armstrong is going to be 31. Paul Fry is going to be 29. They're just... They just do not line up with the timeline as much. And you have to keep the longest view in the room. You have to. And no matter what they give you in 2021, you have to be looking at what are they going to give me in 2022, 23, 24, when we are trying to make the playoffs. Not only that, but is having them out of the bullpen two or three years from now giving me an opportunity to put some of the prospects who didn't necessarily pan out in the starting rotation in the bullpen because they didn't quite develop a third or fourth pitch. Let's put them in the bullpen where their two-pitch mix can be deadly in a seventh or eighth inning. Yeah, and, and you have to have room for those guys. We, we won't – you mentioned Keegan Aiken. We talked about Isaac Matson, those two guys who could potentially be in the bullpen by seasons. And there's not going to be a whole lot in 2021 that I think will get pushed to the bullpen. Maybe Bruce Zimmerman, maybe three guys. But then long-term – Maybe Kevin Smith is a bullpen guy long-term. Maybe Alexander Wells is a bullpen guy long-term. There's just so many starting Maybe Zach Lauder is a bullpen guy long-term. There are so many pitching prospects in this system that there are just not going to be enough spots in the starting rotation. That's that's a great thing to hear, and the Orioles haven't had that problem in a long, long time. But I'm I'm telling you, in 2022 or three. There are not going to be enough spots. They're going to have to go to a seven-man rotation if they want to give all these guys this because there are not going to be enough starting spots down the road for these guys. So they are going to have to move those guys to the bullpen eventually. And the last thing you want to do in a rebuild is put a cap on a guy because you want to have a veteran hold a place for longer than they should. You don't want to block somebody's path to the bigs when you have an opportunity when you're not winning games to give them innings. 
and from the outside looking in right now, if you want to talk about how the rebuild is doing, we are talking about on this podcast currently that the fact that there are so many good starting pitching prospects that some of them will have to be bounced to the bullpen, which means you have to trade bullpen arms to get more prospects. Yeah. yeah. These are amazing problems to have yeah. for a team that a few years ago did not have a good farm system. Yeah. We've talked about an overcrowded outfield on past podcasts. Now we're talking about a starting pitching prospect farm that is so overcrowded that some of them have to be moved to the bullpen because there are too many good pitching prospects. And I know it can be hard to see at times. I know it can be hard, especially after 2021 where you didn't have the minor leagues and you couldn't go to games. You couldn't go to Delmarva and go see a pitching prospect. You couldn't go to Frederick and go see DL Hall or Grayson Rodriguez or Bowie and go see, um, you know, Kevin Smith after he comes over in the trade. It's hard. But those guys are there. That doesn't take away the fact that these guys are still in the system. They're still improving. We may not be able to see them on a daily basis. We may not be able to get video of these guys. Um, that's just the nature of what we're living in right now. But these guys are still in the system, and they are there, and they are. a lot of these guys are going to be good. Not all of them are going to hit, but a lot of these guys are going to be good, and they are going to be the future of the franchise. And it is just going to take a little bit of time. Patience. And when you're looking at the Orioles' bullpen for 2021, if guys like Sean Armstrong and Paul Fry are continuing to overperform and have ERAs under two, be happy that they are helping to hopefully win the Orioles' games Yep. and also be happy that they are going to get traded for even better prospects. Yeah, exactly. Because that, that is where the rebuild is going, and we can't look at 2021 and say the Orioles have a veteran bullpen that is going to help them make a playoff push because that's just not incredibly realistic at this point. But what we can say is that if the Orioles have veteran arms in the bullpen that are helping them win some games and stay competitive, they are going to be better trade pieces. And and this Orioles system, as much as we talk about how much it has improved, and it absolutely has, and it's one of the best in baseball, and it's a top 10 unit, Michael Elias wants to make this probably the best farm system in baseball, or the second or third best. And they're not there yet. They're the eighth best by MLB Pipeline. They're right on the fringe of the top 10 by a lot of metrics. He wants for them to be the best because you're not going to win a championship in this kind of market if you don't have a top, top farm system. And the point of the rebuild is to get a top farm system. Right. So to deal those guys makes the farm system that much better and can propel them up into the upper echelon because you have to have your full arsenal of weapons before you go into this this AL East trying to win. You have to have the best possible farm system before you try to win. You can't, you know, do this half leap. You have to go in all the way in terms of this rebuild and that's what they're doing. So it, it is it is painful at times. It maximizes pain, but it, it's to maximize the results and the wins eventually. It's coming together. It is. It's right there. Every podcast now, I feel like I end by just going in on Well, it. because any position group that we're talking about on these podcasts, we would be incredibly remiss if we didn't mention the fact that, oh, yeah, there are a bunch of guys in the farm system who are going to be up pretty soon yeah. 
that need to be talked about in this equation. And also, it's tough because we, we're talking about these guys and we're talking about the guys that had career years while also knowing that there's a chance that they're not on this team next year. Right. We did that with Jose Iglesias. We, in, in the same breath that we talked about what a great 2020 season was, talked about why that made him more attractive as a trade piece. So that's just the nature of where this team is right now. And it's difficult because you have to be able to appreciate when guys are having great seasons and appreciate these guys while you have them while also understanding that it, the long-term goal is that they have turned themselves into attractive trade pieces for other teams. But that's the trade-off you go through through a rebuild. And the, the thing is, you're watching other guys like Ryan Mountcastle that is you know almost certainly he is going to be a part of this team when they are winning again. So you have both, both sides of the coin. You have the veterans that you're hoping are going to improve their trade value and you have the young guys that you hope show you enough that they can stick around long-term. And you're also finding diamonds in the rough that are yeah. really fun, like Cesar Valdez. That's yeah. a really fun story for 2020, and hopefully he continues to have success in 2021. Yeah. Is he a part of the rebuild? No. Is he a really fun part of the team that's helping you win games? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is Cesar Valdez going to be 39 years old and closing games in the playoffs for this Orioles team? I'd argue yes. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. That's just the nature of things. It's it's just where they are as a team right now. But it's fun. It is fun. Embrace it. Yeah. We've got to come up with a hashtag that's like trust the process, but doesn't totally steal the Sixers vibe there. Embrace the Embrace journey. the... Sure. That was inspirational. You're welcome. Yeah. I think uh, the logo for whatever hashtag that we come up with should be Anthony Santander, Santander on the Claire. And that's full circle, That's full baby. circle. That's full circle. Good job there, Brendan. Thank Thanks you. to Bobby Blanco for running uh, this podcast today. Thanks to Hannah Broder, of course, as always, behind the scenes. Thanks to you for commenting. Please send all hate mail regarding the Anthony Santander and a chocolate eclair to at Brendan Morty. Please send all of your fan mail to at Paul Mancano on Twitter. Uh, of course, be sure to like, subscribe, review, all that good stuff on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. If you're not watching the podcast, you can do so live on Facebook. You can do so live on Twitter and YouTube and comment along and we will do our best to read your comments as we go along as well. Thanks as always for tuning in. We appreciate it. We will be back next week one more time before Christmas. That just about does it for our podcast today and we'll see you later.